Thank you for listening. This is Getting to Know You, a podcast connecting the Jewish Federation of the Desert to Coachella Valley. I'm Alan Potash, CEO of the Jewish Federation of the Desert, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Hocker. As a longtime resident of the Valley, I've asked Jeff to introduce me to leaders, programs, and happenings in the community. By introducing me, we believe you might learn something too. We hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Uh, Jeff, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too. And you brought a visitor in with you. I did. My father, Bob, he's here from Medford, Oregon. I sure am. Bob, thank <laughs> you. I lost getting here, but I made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always something to be found when you're lost. Yeah. Right. So thank you for joining us. Jeff, who did you uh, bring today for us to learn about? Uh, Rob Marr is the executive director for Guide Dogs of the Desert. And they're celebrating their 50th anniversary. One of the organizations that, you know, really changed the face of the Coachella Valley. There was a few organizations that all started about that same time. And you're an amazing organization. So tell us. Sure. Well, again, thank you, Alan and Jeff, for having me here today. It's really quite a pleasure to be part of this. It's it's really uh, good to, to get to know you. Uh, that's, that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, that's know. the idea. And uh, Guide Dogs of the Desert uh, truly is an amazing organization. Uh, having been founded in Palm Springs in 1972, with the sole purpose of the founder, Bud Maynard, his main focus was on the fact that at that time, many guide dog schools, and even today, unfortunately, uh, if you have a other disability, they very often would say, sorry, we can't offer you a guide dog. One of the driving forces of guide dogs in the desert has always been that regardless of your abilities, if you can realistically manage a guide dog and that guide dog is going to benefit you and going to help you, we will figure out a way to make that guide dog work for you. We go through a great deal of length of actually matching the individual dog with the individual person. Um, because there is such a need for guide dogs throughout the country, it is um, very often, unfortunately, there's many different models that get done. Our models are very much geared towards a matching program, yet other schools do. We have a student, we have a dog, you're matched together, good luck. So, I mean, a lot of questions to ask you about guide dogs for the other. First, how did you get involved with it? How could you not? Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good answer. You've got to have, have a love for dogs. You've got to have a love for dogs. How could you not get involved with it? What's, um, your, what's your background? How did you? Well, um, that, that's a very long story. I don't know how long this podcast is going to go on for. <laughs> but uh, I'm trained as an architect originally, had my own firm. Oh, really? And uh, this is back in New York. I'm a transplanted New Yorker. It's just way too cold back there for me. Um, had been coming out to the desert for many, many years to get, escape the cold of the wintertime. And uh, lo and behold, um, when I was an architect, had my own firm, I was doing volunteer work for other nonprofits. Soon found myself on the board of directors, soon found myself as board chairman, and uh, the executive director of that particular agency had to leave. And so they said, Rob, you don't do anything. You just run your own architectural <laughs> firm. Um, can you step in for a period of time while we find a new ED? And so I was the intern director, and that lasted for 18 years. So um, <laughs> when I finally was leaving there, they're doing a retirement party. I said, well, you know, I'm still the intern director. I never was formally hired. Um, <laughs> so, uh, But after 18 years, and that organization is going quite well. I also have founded nonprofits back in New York and also very much engaged in, in politics and human, um, human rights campaigns and things of that nature. Um, when I moved out here to the desert, I knew that my field I'd get into would be the nonprofit. 
arena in the nonprofit because it's such great nonprofits here in the Valley. It's really amazing. I agree with you on that. So shifting from architecture to nonprofits to guide dogs for the desert, how, how did, what was the connection and how long have you been doing? I, so dogs? my nonprofit work has actually been for at least 30 years at this point. And I've been asked that question any number of times. And really the connection is whether it's architecture, nonprofits, dogs for people, it's about the person. Yes. That's really what it comes down to. Architecture is no good if it's not built for the person. Uh, social service agencies, nonprofits, if they're not looking at what the person needs, then they're not do- fulfilling their mission. And with a guide dog, it's really not about the dog. As much as we all love to see puppies and we all love to see dogs, and Jeff, as a black lab lover, knows how wonderful they can be. It's really, it's more about the ability and the changing of a person's life when they receive one of our guide dogs. So I'm a dog person. Right. Uh, and I've noticed that many people are doing things with their dogs now that they weren't years ago. And I'm not always so sure it's the right thing for the dog to be in the situation it's in. So how do you train people to be able to work with dogs? Well, that's the very key point right there, because it's not just training the dog to become a guide dog. It's training the student, as we refer to the individuals. Um, Many of our students have had dogs before. They possibly have had a dog from a different school. Their dog retired. Their dog decided, you know, had a medical ailment or something of that nature. And so they came to us and we were trying to match them up with a dog. But it's really, and we just had a class in May and uh, one student had said there, he said, you know, I've had a number of dogs, but this one drives differently. And that was very true of a, of a case is because every dog, just like every person, just like every relationship is different. And you're building a very, I want to use the term intimate in the sense of meaning close relationship with this dog that, you know, from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go at night, that dog is by your side and that dog is really very much there. And so you really have to become more than a team. It's really a total connection with one another. So the dog really isn't, sorry, Jeff, the dog really isn't a pet. It's a companion. The dog is absolutely not a pet and it's not even a companion. Um, the dog is really the person's ability. The, the dog is really, it's much more, um, the dogs really allow people to take public transportation. They allow people to go to work. Um, they're, they're really the benefit of a guide dog to individuals. It's not about, um, it's, it's, there's so much. I mean, I'm just always amazed when you see a person who's willing to trust in this dog to cross the street. Um, I know I walk my dog at least twice a day. He's always running me into traffic. That's it? Just twice a day? <laughs> I walk mine at least five a day. Or he well, me well if, if I could, I would, but I have to work. <laughs> um, I do have a dog walker every afternoon. So that, <laughs> uh, so that but, but still, um, this is, you know, the notion that you can be trusting in this dog to be, you know, walking you across the street is just really incredible. Now, it, it's kind of a unique situation <laughs> in that, the dog is raised for 18 months and then is started. Well, I'll, I'll just quickly go out through yeah. the process. So we actually did our own breeding of the dogs on campus. We primarily use labs and poodles. And the main reason, and we're one of the few, actually only two other schools in the country uh, use poodles at all. Are they called Laddles? No, no, no. Labadoodles or anything. No, no they using, have to be they're full standard. Yeah. You're doing full standard purebred poodles. Because you have to understand what the characteristics of that dog so you can train it appropriately. The, the crossbreeds that they're doing now, you don't know. But that's interesting. I, that would not have been a, a question to ask. But. We, actually, yeah. we actually trace the lineage of every single dog and every single litter 
that when we are breeding them, that we're making sure that we're breeding the best characteristics for guide dog work that we can. So it's truly a, um, a notion that we have their great, great, great grandparents of really? basically every, you know, for the last 50 years, we, we have records that go back that can track where each dog has come from. And, and we monitor from the time that puppy is born, we start looking at its behavior. We start looking at how it interacts. We start, you know, really gauging and taking our notes and our documentation of how that works. And then from there, the puppy is born on campus. We have a beautiful um, nursery and uh, the puppies stay there for eight weeks. And then we place them with volunteer puppy raisers. And I can't speak more about a volunteer puppy raiser. They are an incredible group of people. This is an individual or family that takes a puppy into their home for up to 18 months. And they do a lot more than just the basic dog obedience that you or I would do for a house pet. They go through, because the dogs are not allowed on your furniture, they're not allowed to shake hands, you know, do paw, anything of that wow. nature, um, because discipline. it's discipline. And they have to know, um, I mean, one thing that you... I don't really realize, but guide dogs are trained to go to the bathroom on command because you can't be working with your dog down the street and decide that it needs to relieve itself. So it, it needs, so even that starts at the puppy age and that's all done by the volunteer puppy raiser. And they don't, their compensation is just knowing that they're doing something great for somebody who is visually impaired down the line. And, and some dogs don't make it through the process. So what happens? So that, that's very true. Unfortunately, um, the way that we look at it is that many of us, myself included, have had career changes. And <laughs> we, we may have started off in one path and one career, and something else came along the way, and we decided to take a different career. So sometimes the dogs, although we go through as much as we can to make sure we have good, well-trained guide dogs, it's very often a dog decides, no, you know what? I don't want to be a guide dog. I like chasing squirrels and but <laughs> I, I like, you know, petting with, uh, you know, getting pet, more pets and more social. So we actually have a relatively new program, which is our support canine program. And that program we actually have, it's, it's the dogs are trained to be more compassionate support animals and actually, um, Palm Springs has one of our dogs in the police department. Um, uh, Desert Hot Springs Police Department has one of our dogs. And they find that when they're going out into the community, they're finding that people are much more ready and willing to approach them when they have a dog there. Yep. The other benefit of the dog is that very often in domestic violence cases or in severe trauma cases, the dog is able to come in and offer that relief and companionship. Um, Garden Grove uh, Police Department has one of our dogs. And one of that dog went out to the Evaldi um, school shooting. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that to recognize the ability of what that dog could do, not just for the children engaged, but also for the adults who are going through that horrific experience. Uh, I mean, you just posed a really interesting challenge. So even a dog that isn't trained to be a guide dog has another purpose. Another career. Another career. I like that. <laughs> so let me ask about a career change for some of your dogs. Have any of them done search and rescue? We don't um, have our dogs going to search and rescue. Um, it is, it's just because we feel that we have enough other avenues with the, with the support canine piece. I, so I need to jump in a little bit and ask a question. So you've got a 30-year history in nonprofit work. How is Guide Dogs in the Desert different from other nonprofits that you've worked with? Uh, it's extremely similar, extremely different. 
Um, and, and that's kind of, it's it just with every nonprofit. We, of course, have our mission. One of the things that a lot of people don't recognize is that, yes, we're focused here in the desert. We, you know, school was founded in Palm Springs with the great support of the Palm Springs Lions Club. And, but we are a national school. We actually, in many regards, are an international school. So we're kind of an international nonprofit organization. Uh, we even are, have had many conversations with a school in Israel with their guide dog school. Uh, and, uh, simply because they would like to have some poodles. And we're just trying to figure out a way that we can make a poodle exchange. Because the, one of the benefits of the poodles is that, and I'll get more to your, your question in a second. The, one of the benefits of the poodles is that they don't shed and they're hypoallergenic. Right. So if you of somebody who's allergic or somebody who doesn't see that their house is dirty, um, here's a dog that can help benefit them. What makes us a bit different um, from other nonprofits is is really very slight. You know, again, I, I have to turn it back to it's about the people we're right. trying to help. And that's really what all nonprofits are really trying to do here in the Valley. I mean, there's some fantastic, all the nonprofits here in the Valley are truly fantastic. And when you look at their core mission and what they're trying to achieve, um, it's about helping the person. Right. So it's all about relationships. And the Jewish Federation on the Desert, that's really clearly what we do. We care for the vulnerable, build community, and really build relationships. Without the relationships, you don't really have a purpose. But you have to raise money. So how do you raise money? Um, well, I, <laughs> I I jokingly always say I walk around with my hand out. <laughs> um, that's to, and that's not to clean up after the dogs. Yeah, that's not to clean up after the dogs. Um, <laughs> after all, they've, they've gotten in command. Um, <clears throat> but no, we, we try to do many number of events. We always have uh, puppy sponsorships, uh, which is always fun things to do, that you can sponsor a puppy and you get to name it. And we send you constant updates of how that dog is progressing. Um, you know, of course, most people want to see their dog uh, succeed and become the best guide dog there is but when sometimes we say no that dog is going on to support canine and going to help you know domestic abuse or something like that that's another extremely worthwhile cause um there are um any number of avenues that we can help we're always in need of volunteers uh we're always in need um we're always planning other different events and we just celebrated our 50th in october which is a fantastic event that event was more not done as a fundraiser it's purposely done as a thank you to all of our supporters over the years so it was very we had about 190 people there, I guess it was. And people came in from all over the and United people States. people came in from all over the United Sorry States. Sorry that I missed it. Yeah. And it really was a wonderful yeah. event. And it was really, again, focused on a thank you to the community because the community here in Palm Springs and the whole desert has been so incredible to us. Well, and you rely on dog food companies. We you know, rely give us an on... idea of the different partners that you have. Well, I mean, it's, it's, we rely on anyone that can help us with our mission, basically what it comes down to. And that's really what it is. We are, so the, one of the big things is that um, we are co- currently completely privately funded. Um, it is only through the support of the community that funds us. Um, each dog, though, and we are looking typically to place about 18 dogs a year, if not 20 dogs a year. Each dog roughly has a invested cost of about seventy to eighty thousand dollars. Now, um, when you think about the, all the, because it's a two-year training program that these dogs go through. Because after the dog is with even their puppy raiser for eighteen months, they come back to us for six months to get formal guide dog training. And then we have students that come and stay on campus for a month as the students get trained to work with their dog. So by the time the student is walking out of the out of our classrooms and off our campus, uh, that dog has been with us for over two years. And we've invested all this time into that dog. Hmm. 
And um, it, it ties back to, um, as I say, it's um, that dog is then given to that student for free. And that's one of the other amazing things. So, you know, the, through the generous support of the community, we're able to do this work and able to keep the, the organization open and going and growing. And that's one of my main focuses right now is, is to grow the organization. There's a very large need for guide dogs in this country. And yeah. I think one of the phenomenon today is that many people believe their dogs are skilled dogs and, you know, there's companionship and service dogs. And I've noticed that more and more airports are accommodating dogs of all kinds, but not everybody is really allowed to have a, a dog uh, available to them to travel with. So how do you, how do you communicate well, to places that these dogs are? Well, it's, it's part of, first of all, the Americans with Disabilities Act is the one that allows the dogs to be able, a, a, to, be able to be with you, as especially performing guide dog work. Yeah. Um, one of the big issues that I believe the airlines have been having and is the fact that um, our dogs are certified guide dogs. And uh, even our support canine dogs that, say, a police department may have, they're certified as a support animal. Many other people decide that they would like some other animal to offer them that physical, emotional support. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's a matter of how does the airline manage right. a, a a Noah's Ark of animals so, that people are looking yeah. to bring on the so, plane. So when I bring my peacock onto the plane, that's not really good? Um, <laughs> it may be wonderful for you as your support, and it may be what you need to get onto that plane. <laughs> but the people around you may have a little question about it. So, so Labrador retrievers have a life expectancy of like 12 to 14 years. What is it for poodles? It's about the same. Because they are large dogs. I mean, but but their working life. So their working life is typically no more than about seven years because they they get old. Dogs get old, too. And the dogs, you know, start to slow down. And so the dog has to be sharp in order to really work with the individual. So um, and even, you know, I just had a woman just recently contact me. She's been a student of ours for probably 30 years now. She's had a number of dogs from us. And she's in her 80s. And she says, well, I'm hope, you know, this might, I got to retire my dog. It's already been 10 years that I've been with this dog. And she said, are you guys going to turn me down from having another dog? I said, it's not about your age. It's about your ability. If you're able to manage that dog, then we'll certainly work with you. And we'll try to figure out what works best for you with, with that dog. And that's what we do with everyone. So in a case like that, where the dog is getting near retirement age, what happens to that dog? In most cases, the dog is offered to the people who have had it for all those years. And then that dog has a change of career and retires from guide dog work and becomes a pet. And do they get another guide dog? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes not. Again, it really we have about a two-year, and it's only simply because of, of funding cycles and things, of, of just bringing more resources. We better have a two-year waiting list for people yeah. who want dogs. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. In the few minutes we have left, do you have uh, anything you want to inspire the community on in terms of what you're doing besides raising money and training guide dogs and training students to be good uh, well well the big thing that i really want to put out there and it's one of my things that i've noticed in the valley you know coming from new york city it's a little bit different than coming from around here and um being an architect is also one of those backgrounds and i can't walk into a place without noticing something um our valley is not the most handicapped accessible valley 
and that is one of the things that has always, you know, annoyed me. And I look at that I drive up and down Ramon Avenue there on, you know, Palm Springs all the time. And there are a number of very large sections that have no sidewalks. And there are people in wheelchairs and motorized wheelchairs. And, you know, one time I even passed one guy who fell off his wheelchair because he was trying to roll it through the dirt. And so there are things that um, the community at large can do, which is much greater than what Guide Dogs does. But again, it, it ties back to the person. It ties back to people. You know, we're all here to help each other. Well, if that's a project of yours, I'd to be a part of that to help uh, make it more accessible. I've noticed that also. Uh, you mentioned that you partner with um, Guide Dogs in Israel. One of the sources of funds that we provide is to uh, Israel Guide Dogs. Oh, okay. So uh, if you need a, 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 um, a person to escort one of your poodles <laughs> in Israel, Fair uh, go fairly, you know, a couple yep. times a year. I'm happy okay. to, to escort off the yep. let me on the plane with a yep. poodle because, you know, we kind of look alike. Because you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we both have curly hair, but yeah. I'm, I'm a little, but my offer is there if you need well, somebody to escort. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's, that's, um, thank you very much. But uh, I just want to thank you for joining us today. Jeff, any other questions for Bob? No. Robert? You're a wealth of information about the organization and we're honored that you came and are a part of the podcast, but also thank you for coming and leading such a wonderful organization. No, I, I, it's, I'm the one with the honor to be running guide dogs in the desert. It really is a fantastic organization and, um, and we have got great plans for the future. And part of it is also, I have to thank you both for having me here today because it really helps to get the word out about yeah. who we are. And the website address is the website address. The simplest one is uh, guide dogs, the desert.org. And uh, there's also gddca.org, but it, they take you both to the same place. And there's a lot of beautiful pictures of dogs. There's there. a lot of so beautiful pictures of dogs. If you're a dog lover, dogs. go on there and you're yeah. well, cruising around the website. We're going to be launching a whole new website comes the new year, and we're going to be having much more interactive. One of the things we're actually expecting another litter of puppies in February, and we're actually going to do a whole tracking series of how that puppy progresses from birth all the oh, way through great. being placed. Um, to being a guide dog. So can people come out and just look at your dogs and observe? We, um, people are always welcome to come to campus for a tour. Um, of course, it has to be prearranged. There are certain days and times that it happens. Um, there's certain you know, group amounts. Sometimes, you know, depending upon the very new puppies, we don't let people see because it's a whole um, protection issue and it's a whole, the puppy doesn't have an immune system yet. So I mean, Interesting. These, these dogs are very well cultivated, uh, cultivated and, and, yeah. and worked with. Well, it's awesome to have you here, and thank you. This was this was good for me. I'm a dog person, and I always think to myself that I can, you know, train a dog to do something. But it's usually the other way around. My dog trains me it, every day. Exactly. It, it's always about the person that needs the training. And even <laughs> any of us who have dogs at home, the dog will do what you want it to do. But it's a matter of we need to be trained in order to ask that dog to do what we want correctly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to. Well, thank you again for joining us, and thank you again for listening to getting to know you. Today we got to know Robert Meyer uh, from Guide Dogs of the Desert. Thank you, Jeff, for bringing Robert with us today. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.